Hello, and welcome everybody to According to Andrew, number 104, The Li Russian Blitzkrieg of the Russo-Ukrainian War. Almost said Japanese there. Um, so, uh, usually I don't, uh, last time I did kind of current events type stuff, and it was really relevant. Uh, today I kind of want to do that again, uh, just because I've been seeing a lot of information out there that people that I expect, uh, Scott Horton, um, even military historians like uh, Martin Van Krebel and stuff like that, uh, having analysis and opinions that are things like the Russians are getting bogged down and stuff like that. Uh, oh, they're, they're, this operation isn't going as uh, they planned and stuff like that, which no plan survives contact with the enemy. So, But a lot more aligned with the mainstream narrative than I would have expected out of them. And so um, this information that I have, I guess, isn't as widespread as I thought it was. So I wanted to do a... Uh, a podcast on it so that you guys have this information and hopefully that information can get uh, farther out there um we'll see uh because obviously there's been a lot of active suppression of this type of information but we'll see how it goes um anyway let's bring up this because i have a couple articles to kind of go through <clears throat> so ukraine invasion and comparative analysis so obviously we've been getting a lot of statements from various people about oh the the war is getting bogged down and you don't hear that as much anymore but i still wanted to uh, have this out there for posterity or, or anyone else and i think this is still good information to have uh this was published march 1st so it's about a month old but it's still relevant um obviously things have slowed down on the russian offensive front and we'll get to why that is uh it has to do with uh russian um, orthodoxy and, and how they uh set up and run their military operations the way the way they're thinking and ideas on how they conduct war uh anyway uh, this is an analysis of the russian invasion of ukraine compared to historical invasions known for their speed and success uh the dupe institute's data was utilized for uh parts of this analysis the post was done by an anonymous author uh, and given to vox day and i will be reading it executive summary the russian rate of conquest is extraordinary 1.4 times uh, 1.43 times faster than Israeli in uh, 1967, that's the Six Days War, 1.85 times faster than the U.S. in Iraq in 2003, uh, Iraq War One, and 10 times faster than the U.S. in Kuwait in 1991, Desert Storm. <clears throat> Russia has plausibly lost up to 15% of its tank force, uh, but of the alleged death toll of 5,000 plus is grossly exaggerated. We will get into that. Uh, Russia deaths are in the range of 234 to 1,100 dead at most. Uh, Ukraine has plus, plausibly lost 30%, 36% of its tank force. If Russia wants to conquer all of Ukraine, uh, victory will be complete by the end of March, around 41 days of fighting. And we're at that point. Uh, things haven't quite wrapped up, but it seems like things are, are kind of getting there. We'll touch on why things are progressing in certain ways. Uh, that might have not been touched on at this person because they were right at the beginning of March. The Sixth Day of War, 1967. Israel conquered the Golan Heights, 609 square uh, miles, the West Bank, uh, 2,173 square miles, and the Sinai, 23,000 square miles, for a total of 25,863 square miles. Israel deployed 264,000 troops versus 100,000 thousand Egyptians, seventy five thousand Assyrians, and five 
55,000 Jordanians. Israel, Israel started with 800 tanks and 300 combat aircraft. The Arabs started with 2,000, uh, 2,054 tanks and 957 combat aircraft. It took six, six days for Israel to conquer that theater for a rate of conquest of 4,208 uh, square miles per day, or 0.16 square miles per soldier per day. The Dupe Institute rates the combat effectiveness value, CEV, of the soldiers of Israel at 3.5, uh, Jordan at 2.27, Egypt at 2, Syria at 1.3. So the overall force ratio was uh, 264,000 times 3.5 versus 200,000 plus 975,000 plus 124,850,000 uh, or... 942 versus uh, 424, or 2.2 to 1 ratio on combat effectiveness of Israel versus all the other uh, nations, that all the Arab nations that were involved in the conflict. In conquering the Golan Heights, West Bank, and Sinai, Israel lost 983 soldiers, or 0.3% of its soldiers. It lost 400 tanks, or 50% of its tanks, and, 400, er, and 46 aircraft, or 15%. The Arabs lost 17,500 soldiers, 7.6%, 950 tanks, or 46%, which is actually a less tank loss than the uh, conquerors, and 452 aircraft, or 47%. Uh, there were very few civilian casualties. Note that the Israelis suffered per capita armor vehicle losses that were higher than the Arabs. This is because fast-moving tank attacks incur more losses, many of which are mobility kills. Uh, when you're doing that that lightning attack, if something breaks down, you got to keep moving forward. Uh, the U.S. conquered Kuwait at a rate of 6,880 square miles. Uh, the U.S. deployed, and oh, also something. So that is another thing that kind of explains some of the oh, all the tanks are being destroyed and being hauled off by um, farmers and stuff like that. Uh, you know, if it's a mobility kill, they're going to leave it behind. They're going to move forward. On top of that, um, you know, jokes and stuff like that, but you also don't know if uh, those tractors are being uh, basically uh, repurposed by um, the people that are following up after the initial attack to get those tanks and stuff like that out of their stuck or immobile positions uh, from local farmers and then being able to reuse those tanks. So that's another thing to consider. Uh, I don't know which way it is either way, but uh, obviously the fact that uh, farmers are acquiring tanks for their own personal use is definitely funnier. Don't get me wrong. Um, Gulf War. The U.S. conquered Kuwait, a uh, total of 6,880 square miles. The U.S. deployed 700,000 troops versus Iraq's 650,000 troops. The U.S. started with 2,300 tanks. Iraq started with 4,280 tanks. Uh, it took 4.25 days to conquer Kuwait. Uh, for a rate of 1,618 square miles per day, or 0 0.023 square miles per day per soldier. The Dupe Institute rates the U.S. CEV uh, as somewhere between 4 and 6 to Iraq CEV of 1. I assume the mid-range of 5, therefore the force ratio was 3,000, uh, 3,500,000 to 650,000, or 5.38 to 1. In conquering Kuwait, the U.S. lost 292 soldiers, or 0.04%. It lost 31, per, uh, 31 tanks, or 1.3%. Uh, 
Iraq lost 500,000 soldiers, 7.7%, uh, and 3,700 tanks, or 86%. There was approximately 5,000 civilian ca casualties. Here we see that despite having a force ratio twice as good as Israel's in 67, the U.S. only conquered Kuwait at a speed of about one-seventh the speed of the, the Israel conquered its territories. But the U.S. only suffered per capita losses of one-tenth the men and one-thirty-fifth of uh, the tanks. The Iraqis, meanwhile, suffered similar levels, a total of 7.7 .7 of the Arabs uh, and the Arab League in 67 of 7.6. Despite Desert Storm is often perceived as blitzkrieg or maneuver warfare, but is actually a methodical battle of annihilation in which carefully advanced shock armies followed airstrikes to destroy everything in its path. And this is in alignment with the fact that America is a second generation warfare uh, army, which the basic tactics are bumping the enemy and call for fire. Um, and so you're going to have a lot slower advances and stuff like that. This also lines up very well. The reason America can't move past this is because maneuver warfare inherently makes it so that you have to accept much higher losses uh, initially for a uh, faster uh, victory overall. And because the uh, American public's innate aversion to warfare and the loss of life, mainly because America can't do maneuver warfare properly because we are always invading countries that we shouldn't be in to begin with and therefore can't assume the incurment and incur the loss of life required to execute the maneuvers properly because the american public won't put up with it which is in a sense a good thing um we're behind warfare wise but in the end it will be uh it prevents it doesn't really prevent us from... It, it would be good if it prevented us from getting into war, but it doesn't really, so that's kind of the, the thing that we're stuck at. Anyway, invasion of Iraq. Uh, U.S. conquered Iraq a total of... Oh, one thing to add about the Gulf War is there was like like a couple months worth of bombing before the invasion started as well, uh, which you don't have in Ukraine. So that's another thing to factor in. U.S. conquered Iraq a total of... 168,285 square miles. Uh, the U.S. deployed 310,000 troops versus Iraq's 538,000 troops. It took 41 days to conquer Iraq at a rate of conquest of 4,128 square miles per day, or 0.013 uh, square miles per soldier per day. The Duke Institute has not offered a CE uh, ratio for the 2003 war. I assume a CE value of 6, the force ratio was therefore 1,860,000 uh, to 538,000, or 3.46 to 1. The U.S. lost 196 uh, soldiers, or 0.06% of its total popula uh, total soldiers. Iraq lost 30,000, uh, or 5.6. Data on armored vehicles losses isn't available, but we know... They were very high for Iraq. There was approximately 7,300 vehicle casualties. Here we see the force ratio uh, was 57% better than the force ratio in the Six Days War, but only 64% as good as force ratio in Desert Storm. Uh, the rate of conquer conquest was almost as fast as that of the Six Days War, but much faster than the Gulf War. The U.S. losses were 50% higher per capita than the Gulf War. Uh, the Iraq casualties were lower at 5.6%. The 2003 invasion of Iraq, uh, with its thunder runs, seems to have been more like maneuver warfare with fast maneuver and somewhat higher casualties. 
Summary of Historical Benchmarks. Uh, 1967 winner, uh, 0.03% uh, deaths, 50% take losses, uh, tank losses, 167 uh, times the deaths, uh, and 0 0.06 square miles per day. Uh, the losers of the 1967 war, 7.7% uh, deaths, 46% uh, tank losses, tank losses, 6 times deaths. Uh, 1991 Gulf War uh, winner, or Desert Storm, 0.04% uh, deaths, 1.3% tank losses, tank losses, 33 times higher than deaths, 0 0.023 uh, square miles conquered per day. Uh, losers, 7.6% deaths. 86% tank losses. Tank losses were 11 times uh, deaths. 2003 winner, uh, 0.06 uh, deaths, 0 0.03 square kilometers conquered per day. Losers, 5.6% deaths. All right, invasion of Ukraine. Now we're getting to the good stuff. Uh, by the way, all the articles I'm going to go through, I'll, I'll list in the description of the video so you guys can read through them at your own leisure should you uh, wish to. Also, a lot of them are going to be linked to, like, full articles on that. Um, I didn't want to go through the full articles. This is the longest article, and the rest of them are, are much shorter. Um, Russia invaded Ukraine, which is 233,062 square miles. Russia has allegedly deployed 234,000 troops versus Ukraine's 124,000 ground troops. Russia allegedly has 120 1,200 tanks amassed. According to Global Security, Ukraine has uh, 620 T-64, 100 uh, T-64BM Balut, 133 T-72s, and 5 T-84 Oplots for a total of 858 tanks. The 64s and 72s are vintage Soviet-era equipment, so only 105 tanks are modern. The Russian tanks... Uh, makeup is unknown. What is the force ratio? Uh, though I, I feel like I did see a video on Russian uh, tank makeup not that long ago, and most of them are modern, and they basically said that uh, because of the cost of maintaining these older equipment and stuff like that, it's usually not worth it, and the fact that they're uh, usually not super effective, that they're not going to get knocked out. They'd get knocked out pretty well uh, quickly, but Russia did maintain more older tanks than like when you compare it to the United States. And those are mainly what have been used in this conflict, as far as I'm aware. Anyway, getting back to the article. Uh, what is the force ratio? Sadly, DP Institute does not give us a CEV for Ukraine and Russia. If we assume they are equal, the force ratio is 1.872. If we assume the Russians are better than the Ukrainians to the same ratio that the Israels are better than the Jordanians, the force ratio is 2.88. Based on the rate of advance discussed below, the figure of 2.88 seems right. By estimates, plotting area of advance on Google Earth, the Russians have conquered uh, 3,465 square miles of terrain in six days. This presents this represents 0.024 square miles per soldier per day. That is 1.43 times faster than Israel's advance in the Six-Day War, 10 times faster than the U.S. advance in the Gulf War, and 1.85 times faster than the U.S. advance in 2003. So any suggestion that the Russians are moving slow is revealed as absolute nonsense. What, uh, what are the casualties? Ukraine uh, claims to have killed 3,500 soldiers, 1.4%. Losing that many men in just a few days would mean the Russians are on track to defeat 7.7% uh, uh, deaths being enough for the Arabs to lose in 67 and 91. It seems to me uh, to be 
a very carefully selected number, low enough to seem plausible, high enough to hint at defeat. But the number is certainly wrong. U.S. Army, uh, in the first 25 days of Operation Overlord, uh, which was uh, D-Day, lost uh, 2,811 killed. It is implausible to believe that uh, Russia has lost forces at 625% of the rate of the losses which are incurred, incurred storming Omaha Beach and fighting through the Bokaj. Uh With the entire world watching via satellite and mobile phone, it would be impossible for Russia to disguise losses like that. Ukraine claims to have destroyed 191 uh, tanks, 15%, 15.9%. The number of losses is plausible for an aggressive tank attack uh, against a near peer. The Israelis, after all, suffered higher tank losses in 67, and the Russians are advancing 43% faster. Uh, if we look at history, the, this would suggest the Russian loss of life would be somewhere around 0.1 to 0.5%, or 234 to 1,170 dead at the time of this article. Uh, Russia has said very little about the kills, but claims to have destroyed 314 tanks. That would be 36.5% uh, of Ukraine's tank force. Uh, this is a very plausible figure. Remember that the Israelis inflicted 46% uh, tank losses in 1967 by the end of the war, and that was six days. Uh, here, the war is still ongoing. The Ukrainian death toll is then somewhere around 6% of troops or 7,500 soldiers, putting it very close to the point in which the Arabs routed. If the above analysis is correct, Russia will have uh, captured all of Ukraine in 41 days. The war will be over around the end of March. And we're entering the end of March, so we'll see uh, kind of what's going on there. Uh, there's some doctrinal uh, differences that make it so that it might not be happening, but we'll see. Uh, this is Vox Day adding this at the end. Uh, I further note that the 5,300 Russian soldiers reported killed in four days of combat by Ukraine. Defense ministry is not even remotely credible when you consider that uh, 5,732 Russian soldiers were reportedly killed or missing in the 625 days of combat in the Chechen defeat of Russia during the first Chechen war. <clears throat> so that is something. So let's get into the casualties a little bit more, uh, since that's kind of what we wrapped on. Uh, Ukraine reports losses, but not its own. Uh, 12,000 Russian troops have been, have now died fighting in Ukraine, while 300 tanks have been destroyed along with 1,000 uh, armored vehicles, 48 planes, 80 helicopters, and three boats. That's after 12 days of combat. Let's compare uh, the enemy reported losses with the self-reported losses from famous historical battles. Normandy, 87 days, 20,668 U.S. KIA, 2,000 tanks destroyed. Tarawa, 3 days, 1,009 U.S. killed in action. Iwo Jima, 35 days, 6,862 U.S. killed in action, 137 tanks destroyed. Battle of the Bulge, 40 days, 19,248 U.S. killed in action, 733 tanks destroyed. So if Ukrainians are to, believe, to be believed, they are killing 3.45 times more Russian soldiers uh, per day in an invasion that advanced faster than Desert Storm, the Six Days of War, or Operation Barbarossa, uh, than the U.S. military lost in four of its bloodiest battles in World War II. My estimation for Russian losses after 12 days is 2,850 KA, 9,250 wounded, and, 2, er, and 220 tank losses. This is considerably higher than the 1,100 KA I would have estimated due to the Russians utilizing the second-line troops and refraining from making effective use of their artillery and air power. 
Uh, another thing that they were holding back as, uh, one of the reasons for that is because they were trying to uh, use Klaus Witzian, Klaus Witzian um, doctrine to use it as a way to negotiate. They also didn't want to destroy a lot of the infrastructure and stuff like that and wanted to make sure that if they were going to hit targets that they weren't uh, incurring casualties on the everyday civilian as much as possible. Uh, a lot of that has changed because uh, their demands have been refused over and over again, and so they've been ratcheting up the pressure. Um, this was written March 8th, so that has changed since this article was written. Uh, but the Russian generals are clearly saving the first uh, line troops and equipment for potential future engagement with NATO forces while taking advantage of the situation uh, to blood and level up their second uh, line soldiers, which makes the Russian military one I do not want to fight. Uh, and to Vladimir Putin's credit, he has decided to accept higher uh, rate of Russian military casualties in order to reduce the number of Ukrainian uh, civilian casualties by at least an order of magnitude. This is something that America does not do, and this is one of the reasons that we always lose the PR um, campaign and the hearts and minds in the people that actually have to experience uh, the effects of our actions. It's the U.S. is really good at its propaganda and stuff like that and covering up the atrocities or, or various things and and spinning and and so and obfuscating and making it so that you can't see what's actually going on behind the mirror. But anyone that actually has to experience and uh, and anyone who's behind the curtain and experiences uh, how the United States military actually operates, uh, it, none of that propaganda works against them and it actively generates people uh, against us and was one of the reasons that we can never win fourth generation warfare um, conflicts because our second generation warfare style of fighting generates uh, massive civilian casualties which inevitably creates higher resistance to our invasion of these various places. That's why we lost in Afghanistan, that's why we lost in Iraq, that's why we lost in Vietnam. Um, so the decision for Russia to take these higher casualties is one of the ways that you have to fight wars to um, not to help prevent fourth generation insurgencies from um, developing. Uh, you may wish to note that my first estimate was 250 uh, to 500 KIA at the time when the Ukrainians were reporting 9,000 KA, the Russians subsequently reported uh, 498 KA for that period. The reason I set the range uh, too low was because at the time I calculated the estimate, I did not know that the Russians were relying upon second-line troops or that they would eschew artillery and air support uh, for the first five days of the operation. The lesson, as always, is that the past is a prelude. Um, so, jumping over, so there was a Russian... Um, military veteran that gave his perspective on why certain things look the way that they do uh, when it came to the Russian offensive and mistakes that they've made, various things like that. So I wanted to give their perspective on that, and you can kind of see uh, where they failed, where they succeeded, why things look this, this certain way, and why certain narratives within uh, the globalist media and the corporate media and stuff like that um, are working. And because all rhetoric and has to have a ring of truth to it, and there, there has to be an element of truth within it. So because of that, um, there's 
there's things that you'll see like, oh, okay, this is what's going, this is their perspective, this is what's going on, um, and this is why maybe, uh, you know, the thing that sounded correct from the media, this is where that grain of truth comes from, and this is maybe the perspective that makes more sense. Uh, so jumping in, we underestimated, this is from the, uh, military, uh, professional, uh, we estimated the enemy's power of information, ideological, physiological resistance, uh, they were waiting for us literally on the first, uh, day with one click of American bloody fingers, they deprived us of the support of the civilian population and those AFU units, uh, ready to become neutral. Millions of dollars, thousands of IT guys, global media corporations, cut Ukraine off from any objective information. Uh, it stank in our country. <clears throat> and that was the, this is the number one area that Russia made a mistake. Uh, even though there was a lot of maneuvers that they made early on to make it so that this wouldn't happen, it didn't matter. <clears throat> uh, and our main losses were in the first three days. Now they will be rapidly reduced. Peacemaking and humanitarian efforts like the Crimean one are no longer carried out by the Russian army. The fighters received other orders, got involved, got angry, regrouped. Any hopes of active support from the civilian population and those past the AFU uh, who have changed their minds uh, were dispelled. Uh, I'm not sure what AFU stands for. But anyway, we'll continue. Uh, there are a few flowers and bread uh, loaves to be seen. Uh, the people have been crushed by propaganda and lies, intimidated by the, uh, into the insanity by the Nazis. Another important point uh, was missed in the calculations. Uh, for those who are unfamiliar, uh, there's a couple battalions in Ukraine, uh, the Azov being the main one that I'm aware of, that are basically a neo-Nazi group that trace that like their <clears throat> ancestry traces back to World War II and supporting the Nazis during their occupation of Ukraine during World War II and uh, are basically pro-Nazi from that era to date. And they are the ones that staged the Maidan coup or were the, the core military force that staged the Maidan coup and put Zelensky in power back in 2014. Uh, and so that's who they're talking about. <clears throat> Uh, another important point was missed in the calculations. Almost uh, 600,000 Ukrainians have passed through uh, the ATO zone in the Donbass since uh, 2014. Uh, today they have been replenished. The territorial defense everywhere, many uh, have something to fear, especially in the wake of fakes about executions without trial by the ATO. Can you imagine what, during a year of service there, the Nazis suffered into their hands, gave them the opportunity to shoot the settlements of quilted jackets in Colorados with impunity to mock the civilian population there. So to calculate the help of the roads, the APU is accurate, the cancer of Ukraine, uh, monstrous, but we'll cure it. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Okay, here we go. If we explain our tactics of the first day, this is to create a reworked reconnaissance by combat of the Great Patriotic War. The Great Patriotic War is World War II, by the way. Um, only with a deep and rapid penetration into Nazi-occupied territory, we provided the activity of the enemy with tactical groups uh, deliberate, debilitatingly drawing out, ah, sorry, 
deliberately drawing out uh, part of their APU and National Guard from their locations, with a small number uh, withstanding the terrible counterattacks of tanks and armored vehicles of superior in number motorized vehicles. Um, I don't think it touches on it here, but uh, all basically the when the invasion was launched, all of the divisions were forward uh, stationed right on the borders of the Donbass and Lunansk, which were the two regions that uh, broke away in 2014 and tried to join Russia. Russia said no at the time. Uh, now they're basically um, doing something to protect them because there's been constant low-level warfare and shelling of that area for the last eight years. There looked to be an invasion that was about to kick off, and that's when the Russians kicked off their invasion first and ended up taking them by surprise and uh, are working on encircling them currently and creating that cauldron. So that's what's been going on. Um, and that is one of the reasons that it seemed like, uh, Russia was just going to move into the, uh, Lenansk and Do Donetsk regions initially, but because of that forward positioning of those military units, uh, they ended up rolling on into deeper into Ukraine than people had initially anticipated. <clears throat> Sometimes it was impossible to suppress the grads, uh, Artillery and motors uh, hidden in residential neighborhoods uh, that were nailing you. Uh, urban areas uh, could not be cleaned methodically in combat formations, causing supporting fire, attack helicopters, sapers, flamethrowers, tanks uh, to carry machine gun emplacements in households and social infrastructures. Uh, by the way, this is translated from Russian, so that's why it sounds a little weird. Uh, this war, unfamiliar is unfamiliar to us veterans, especially when the sky is under your full control. Airfields are packed with attack aircraft and bombers. Operational tactical missiles are ready in service. There's a lot of heavy artillery. Now it has become clear, even to civilians, the correct name uh, for what is truly is a special military operation for denazification. The demilitarization of Nezelaya uh, was completed by the end of the third day. The APU... Uh, as a single manageable and effective uh, structure has ceased to exist. Today, there are dozens of groups, different numbers isolated for each other, hiding in cities and towns, no centralized supply, no air support, no approach for reinforcements. They're not able to act without the framework of any plans of the Ukrainian general staff, just crowds of armed men uh, with orders to stand to their death. Um, and that's the one of the main tragedies of this whole thing is... Um, all the propaganda and stuff like that is convincing people to try to fight back in, a, in something where they... It's one thing, and I understand they're getting invaded and stuff like that, but um, it, it'd be kind of like uh, if there was like a state in the United States that was going to break away and join... Let's say, let's say California is going to join Mexico. And it was at this point point in American history, it was completely owned, like, all, always Mexico and stuff like that, and we didn't really care if it broke away and joined Mexico, but there was enough propaganda that came out um, from various places in the United States that says we should definitely fight it, and then I realize this is kind of unrealistic, but the Mexican uh, army was definitely going to beat America in the overall invasion and stuff like that, so it caused a lot more death and destruction when the when the game was up uh, for no real reason. Uh, the main group, North and East, were beheaded and deprived of command. There are 22 brigades. These are the 22 that were forward deployed. 
which have been entrusted with the honorable duty of to drown Donbass in blood at the beginning of March. Uh, we beat them to it by a week or two, starting our own special operation. Now 150,000 people, together with national soldiers, are marinated in cauldrons cut off from each other. And we'll get into this cauldron thing. It's a term that the Russians like to use um, to explain encirclements. <clears throat> this is uh, considerably more realistic analysis than the one provided internationally recognized geopolitical forecasters and uh, strategists on international affairs, George Friedman, uh, which I viewed on the dark stream last night, the key takeaways. Uh, we underestimated the enemy's power. The intensity and effect of the psychological operation should disturb uh, everyone on both sides, but it should not be a surprise in the wake of the COVID, COVID psyop, and the Russians clearly understand that the enemy is not Ukraine. Uh, this is a creatively reworked reconnaissance by combat of the great uh, patriotic war, hence the advances on multiple fronts seemingly aimed at nowhere, Combined with the sudden halts that the globalist media interprets, interprets as getting bogged down, the focus is finding the enemy units and enveloping them, then gradually degrading their ability to fight before forcing mass surrenders. And this is one of the uh, main differences between the American fighting style and the Russian fighting style that we'll get into, but Vox Day had highlighted on a stream, is um, America's... Uh, Russia is focused on removing the, the military and their ability to fight. And America has always been focused on conquering land, uh, mainly because of its uh, history of uh, manifest destiny and its westward expansion during our uh, pioneer days. That's just kind of how we think. So uh, it's a very different way of conducting war. Uh, this is a war unfamiliar to us veterans. Russians uh, bent over backwards to avoid uh, collateral civ civilian damages. This effort was not rewarded due to the successful propagandization of the Ukrainian people. While Russia is still not uh, targeting civilians, it is no longer accepting the higher risk to its soldiers required to avoid collateral damage. <clears throat> we beat them to it by a week or two, starting our own special operations. This is why Putin ordered his attack when he did, and why the timing came as a surprise even to some Russian generals. It's how the Russians managed to surround 22 brigades previously estimated by outsiders to be only 10 to 12 brigades in the Donbass pocket. The second stage of the operation, recognizably the Syri uh, Syrian scenario. Uh, Russia will not go into the cities to eliminate the military opposition. It will surround the cities, starve them, and wait for them to surrender or suppress uh, or suppression by a moderate majority. This is the tactic uh, used successfully in the second Chechen war. Um, and to this point, the Russians have more experience in siege warfare than any military in the entire world. I believe um, the figure that I heard was they have besieged 12,000 cities or towns. I'm not exactly sure uh, the size of these uh, sieges, but they are very experienced in this um, uh, field of combat, and they have special... Uh, if they do actually have to go in, which they'll probably have to do for Kiev and a couple other key um, cities, they have special uh, vehicles specifically designed for urban warfare. Um, the was it military history visualized had a great video on it, where he talked about uh, U.S. or no uh, Russian uh, tanks, and basically they put like an anti-aircraft uh, 50 or 20 millimeter cannons on the top of their standard tank platforms. And this gives them a uh, greater elevation that they can reach than your typical um, tank gun 
for the very tight corridors of cities so that if someone's shooting down from you on top of a building, you can actually angle your uh, gun up to the elevation that you need to be able to engage that target, which is one of the main issues that they're having uh, when invading other uh, nations or doing sieges in other operations previous to that, uh, the Chechen War and maybe Georgia. Um, but anyway, previous wars that they've had, this has been an issue. So they developed this um, tank to accommodate this problem. <clears throat> uh, losses are not just tolerable from a military statistical point viewpoint insignificant. Uh, the relentless propaganda about massive Russian losses are a pure projection, especially in light of the price that Russia uh, paid during the Great Patriotic War, a.k.a. World War II. Uh, which is 20%, well, it's 20% of their population, but I don't remember what their, but that was uh, including civilian casualties. I'm not sure what the loss was in uh, Jewish military. Nor does it even make any sense in light of the fact that Russia has su successfully taken an estimated uh, 200,000 uh, square, squared kilometers in less than two weeks. Uh, the final turning point, uh, he predicts the war rapidly comes to an end after... Kharkov and Odessa submit, uh, at least this stage of the larger unrestricted warfare. Uh, Willie encircled Banderas begin to commit atrocities in their impotent anger, while Ukrainians uh, should also carry this cross on their own. Uh, from the Russians' perspective, the civilians chose their side, uh, both in the acceptance of the illegitimate Maidan regime in 2014 and the rejection of the liberators in 2020. Uh, they chose poorly, so the Russians aren't going to lose any sleep over atrocities committed against people who considered uh, them an enemy by forces they did not resist. Uh, it's a bit cold, blunted, and ruthless, but then one shouldn't expect the Russian perspective to have uh, more in common with the irrationally, highly emotional media propaganda perspective that pervades the uh, war west. And I do have to, I don't know, I, I relate more with the Russian uh, way of thinking nowadays, it seems. Um, and it comes with enough predictions uh, that we should soon be able to see if there's a successful model to use or not. It certainly comports the visual map and operations in progress, which is what I used on the thumbnail. This was on March 10th, so we're 16 days on here. Um, we haven't really heard a lot on this stuff, but I don't believe Odessa has been conquered yet. It's just been, uh, both Kharkov and Odessa have been, just been encircled, as far as I'm aware, uh, as well as Kiev. So... We're still waiting on a resolution for that. So, now we're getting into Clausewitz and the um, the way of thinking of the Russian army. <clears throat> oh, actually, before we do that, let's, uh, let's jump to this one and kind of highlight one of the reasons that we're seeing, to get back to those casualty numbers and why there's various things that we're seeing, um, <clears throat> is uh, this thing. Uh, in the Donetsk People's Republic, the armed forces of the Russian Federation continued their successful offensive in the northern direction. During the day, they took control of Zovet, uh, Zoltaiva, Niva, Nova, Donetsky, Navmazakara, and Pirchisakava, uh, and advanced 16 kilometers. Uh, oh, uh, currently the, my bad, read the wrong line. Uh, currently the units of the Lenunks. People's Republic are eliminating scattered groups of nationalists in the southern outskirts of Rugovov liberated settlements. Um, so, 
uh, I, I guess one last night thing I'm going to say. Uh, the grouping of troops in the Lenox People's Republic with the fire support of the Russian military liberated more than 90% of the territory of the Republic. So, jumping in here, ignoring the rhetoric of the various factual claims, uh, which may or may not be true, what is more notice, uh, what do you notice about the specific military elements that are being discussed? It's a significant element worth noting here, in my opinion, is that the main offensive being conducted by the Republic uh, is by the Republican militias, those of the liberated areas of Donetsk and Lunetsk. Um, Russians aren't even utilizing their second-line infantry uh, against the best Ukrainian brigades uh, in the east, except apparently in Mariupol, where the formidable Azov Special Operations Detachment has been surrounded by Russian regulars. That's the uh, Nazi um, uh, brigade, which is uh, apparently a very formidable um Ukrainian fighting force. <clears throat> uh, the Russian military is offering artillery, air, and sea support for the militias as well as defense, but are not engaging in armor and infantry forces on every front. The reliance upon the militias for the ground offensive may account for why the Western observers considered to be suboptimal tactics and higher than expected casualty rates, as well as the observation that it is mostly older, outdated tanks and APCs uh, being destroyed. The fact that using one's least experienced and least valued troops First has been a common method of war making since Xerxes sent uh, the Merades or the Medes against the Spartans before sending his immortals at the Battle of Thermopylae appears to have escaped uh, the media's most military experts. Apparently, their grasp of military history uh, doesn't even rise to the level of Arcaven comics, uh, which we we're gonna skip over that. But go check out Arcaven comics because they are awesome. Okay, getting into Clausewitz uh, dictates. Mines explains how the failure to translate and understand clause, which makes it uh, difficult to understand, difficult for U.S. strategists to understand and make sense of the Russians' approach to making war. So there's a a small but very fundamental um, mistranslation in uh, Klaus, which is uh, on war or von Krieg, um, that has caused a lot of issues over the years, um, and we will get into this. Uh, the fundamental difference between American and Russian uh, ways of fighting probably comes down to the understanding of the greatest mil uh, mistranslation in history. The one quotation from the legendary Prussian general Karl von Clausewitz uh, that you probably remember from school, assuming that you were, uh, weren't miseducated in the American public school indoctrination camp school. Unfortunately, it was. Luckily, I, uh, I've been reading outside of that and uh, been learning a lot. And it likely goes like this. War is politics by another means. It's an elegant aphorism, and it is wrong. The true quote is, Der Krieg ist nicht all es Vorsken des Purtisch Wirkens mit Eschnun Adern Mittel. My German's not good, I probably butchered that. Um, in ye old Queen's English, which of course Americans don't speak, the literal translation means, war is nothing but a continuation of political intercourse with the interference of other means. Uh, pay close attention to the difference between by another means and with the interference of other means. This slight difference is, uh, the wording lies a vast yawning gap of understanding. The Western way of war dates back to the Greek hoplite phalanx formations and essentially consists of two armies smashing against each other, uh, one into the other until the other is dust, at which point the victor dictates terms of, to the vanquished. In this way of thinking, war is almost an all-or-nothing exercise in which, uh, in achieving a very specific end. If you look um, 
Vox doesn't necessarily agree with that analysis, but if you look at how America has conducted war over the last, uh, especially 20 years, basically since World War One, this is basically how they conduct war. Uh, the Russian uh, way of war involves using military force in combination with negotiation. They take the Clausewitz doctrine literally to mean use war and violence to force the other guy to negotiation table and get him to agree to your terms, and if he doesn't, ratchet up the pressure on him until he does. Put simply, the West seeks to decapitate and destabilize the Russians, seeks to strangle and supplant. For those who are stronger in military history than military theory, uh, simply compare the maps of the Russian offensive in World War II to the maps of the current Ukrainian situation. Note in particular the amount of time that separates each offensive doing so should dispel any uh, notion that the special military operation isn't uh, proceeding more or less as Russia intended. There is no explaining why... Uh, one so often sees the word cauldron utilized in translations from the Russian sources instead of Western embellment or pocket. It is a fundamental element of their theory as opposed to strategic maneuvering to be utilized when the opportunity presents itself. And then think about the geostrategic cauldron that might be, uh, might look like in terms of unrestricted warfare. So, I thought this article got into this more, but, <clears throat> um, the Russians are basically trying to envelop and prevent... I, I kind of discussed this earlier, but uh, the cauldron idea is if we destroy their military, then we can take the rest of the country without any problems, and we are in a situation where we can enforce their demands, and we don't necessarily have to destroy all of the uh, their units to and kill literally everyone and just grind everything into dust to be able to achieve our ends. Uh, this is... Actually, this is kind of a third-generation warfare uh, style of fighting and thinking, and was developed by Germany in World War One, and is a very effective means because, especially in the uh, siege warfare and the trench warfare of World War One, it was very, it was this very grindy um, meat grinder kind of thing, and so uh, the fact that they were able to find a way to be able to take out entire pockets of um, people without having to uh, destroy and kill them all made it so that they had. It ended up costing overall costing them less in terms of lives and uh, their ability to conduct military operations and stuff like that is a more effective way of conducting war. <clears throat> uh, it was destroyed. It was still beaten by secondary warfare by the sheer amount and resources of poured behind the uh, Entente, the Entente side of France and Germany, or no, uh, France and Britain when America joined the war and uh overall defeated them because basically uh uh the ottomans weren't really doing much austria-hungary had lo basically lost all of its military fighting power by uh the mid um like the second week of the war and basically germany was carrying the whole war effort of the uh the central powers for basically the whole war and they they basically just got overwhelmed by the end of it um Anyway, the Russians are using a lot of that same kind of uh, thoughts and and ways of fighting war that uh, these people are, where they're encircling and they have all of their the military elements. And so, unless they're the Ukrainian people, which they have been propagandized, so there's a chance that this happens, um, are willing to fight a guerrilla war for extended periods of time and go and use fourth generation. 
uh, tactics against the Russian army, their uh, their main fighting forces have been completely eliminated. Uh, one of the things that uh, out there is a mountain. I think it's the Ural Mountains. The Ural Mountains are a good area in which they could uh, launch a lot of these. But if we go back to our map here, which one of these had the map? Uh, I believe the Ural Mountains are right along the Ladunsk and Donetsk region, or I think I think they come through like right here. Um, oh, there's the river. I don't remember exactly where the, the mountain range is, but I believe it's right in this area. Um, and so the this is all basically open plain, and that's going to be really hard to defend in a fourth generation warfare type uh, fight. It's doable, but and you can't hold cities because cities are the areas that are very easy for the um, a strong centralized military to hold. So you have to fight out in the country and, and basically be so dispersed and so spread out that you can't possibly hold all the areas at once. And that's basically how it uh, works. And eventually you grind them down to the point that they don't really care to try to hold this territory anymore and they pull back. The thing is, Russia doesn't want Western Ukraine. So uh, if they're able to defeat and enforce their demands to a certain extent and uh, can basically occupy Kiev to make sure that the country runs as they want it to, they could probably care less what happens in the countryside and uh, and let that be as it is. And they really only have to control the one center in which their uh, the puppet is um, located and um, run through uh, that whole thing. So that kind of wraps that up. The last thing I wanted to touch on was uh, nuclear weapons, because this is something that kind of comes up a lot. I've heard Dave Smith talk about this quite a bit, is, oh, we should um, we should do everything in our power to make sure that, you know, this, this war doesn't get nuclear and stuff like that. And I, don't get me wrong, I sympathize. But it also um, puts you in a p impossible negotiating situation if you uh, constantly say, well, no matter what, I can't use this tool in my toolbox. So now someone who is in a certain uh, position who is willing to use that tool uh, has massive leverage over you. This is basically what Hitler did during World War II. Um, it, it, well, in the lead-up to World War II that got him Czechoslovakia and uh, Austria is he knew that France and Britain were completely unwilling to go to war with them. On top of that, it also helped that they weren't sure that they could beat Germany. <laughs> and in all honesty, uh, considering that they kind of did, well, I mean, I, Britain's a island, so that Germany never really got a chance to try to fight them. But they did beat France in very short order. So their fears were not um, unfounded, let's say. Uh, similarly, in this situation, uh, if you constantly have the threat of nukes and stuff like that over you, and you, the United States is the one that holds uh, current world hegemony and the status quo if you aren't willing to go to war or willing to risk nuclear war and stuff like that then you can't do anything to affect the uh, current status quo and it has to stay that way forever and so people in that position will use and abuse that as america has to an extreme uh to the point that it becomes intolerable and you people are willing to kind of roll the iron dice and risk it all so that is um kind of the situation that, that Russia has found itself in, and that's why um, America is in this situation that um, they're willing to fight this conflict. So, 
Russia will go nuclear if necessary. Uh, Dominic Cummings uh, points out the U.S. nuclear strategy has always rested on the false and self-serving assumption. Uh, Dominic Cummings, I believe, was a... Uh, he was in higher levels of Washington or whatever and served uh, as like a, some kind of diplomat in foreign relations, I believe. I don't remember exactly his credentials, but uh, he does know what he's talking about. Um, in the Cold War, America based their nuclear strategy on an intellectual framework that was false. It uh, defined standards of rationality that concluded the Soviets would not use nuclear weapons in many scenarios. Uh, there was governing uh, tautology. Rational leaders would be deterred, otherwise they would be irrational. Uh, given this tautology, most uh, vulnerable vulnerability improves stability, i.g. submarines launching nuclear weapons, while better defenses these is destabilizing each military def uh, missile defense. The Cold War was won. The West concluded we were right. Many of the world of the policy conclude. Many in the world of the policy concluded uh, there is a reliable theory of nuclear strategy that allows us to send carefully cal calibrated signals like escalate to de-escalate. You can see this con false confidence in many politicians, journalists, and academics over the past month. E.g., Professor Professor Elliot. Conan's calls for America to attack Russian forces because he's confident Putin is bluffing. After the 1991 uh, collapse, some scholars went to talk uh, to those actually in charge of Russia. Uh, they read documents. They discovered uh, they, and this also a lot of this is uh, uh, what is it? Basically, it's projecting. Like they aren't willing to use for like if you can see by the United States' response to like that. Uh, we aren't willing to use force in this situation, and we also aren't willing to use nukes in this situation. And so, because we aren't willing to do that, we project that onto Russia and then use that as a rationale for our various um, ways of conducting um, diplomacy. Uh, they discovered that we'd been wrong in critical ways all along. Uh, actually, the Soviets planned... Uh, early and heavy use of nuclear weapons in many scenarios, including outbreak of conventional war in Europe. Uh, the theoretical basis for some of the, the Western analysis, such as game theory from the likes of the economist Schausling, has been disastrous, disastrously misleading. More importantly, I think, uh, was the development of the theory that encouraged leaders slash strategists to ignore uh, an internal lesson of history, one story after another of people risking death in ways opponents or observers thought irrational or crazy. Uh, despite being a game designer, I would not hesitate to declare the history uh, is much more reliable guide to anticipating human behavior than game theory, because humans are irrational creatures, and game theory relies on something that is observably rare to the extent that it can even be said to exist at all, which is uh, human rationality. Cummings also points out that the globalist narrative concerning the Russian leader flies directly in the face of strategic assumptions. Uh, the more you think Putin made a terrible blunder in invading Ukraine, uh, he's lost the plot, isolation by COVID fear, the institutions around him don't work, uh, he's fed lies by sycophants, which is the standard view of London and D.C. today, the more skeptical you should be of the simplistic ideas from the Cold War about rationality and deterrence uh, work as planned. Fortunately for the globalist narrative, uh, Fortunately, the globalist narrative is entirely false, which in no doubt is why Cummings has reached the correct conclusion that should be shared by every Christian, every defender of Western civilization, and everyone who cherishes the good, the beautiful, and the true. Uh, if you care about preserving Western values, I strongly advise that you focus on regime change in London and Washington, not in Moscow. Putin is, uh, 
Putin is less dangerous uh, than our own idiocracy. And to that, we conclude uh, this, according to Andrew, this has been a long one. Thank you guys for listening. Um, we're on uh, BitChute. We're on YouTube. Uh, we'll see how long this one lasts on YouTube. And we're on Podbean and all where all uh, podcasts are found. Uh, I think Spotify is on that list. Uh, Google Podcasts. Uh, I'm on Apple. So uh, wherever you prefer to download your podcast, I'm on there under Up Chuck McDuck uh, or According to Andrew. It's under one of those two. So check those spots for it. Uh, leave a comment and uh, and share this around because there's been a lot of uh, information out there that uh, hasn't reached the people that I thought it would reach. So um, send it far and wide. I'd greatly appreciate it. Um, but uh, anyway, thank you guys for listening, and hopefully you guys have a good one. Goodbye.